Hey, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Danica Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And I do judge people by their movie snack preferences. For real. <laughs> so what what is what is your idea? Like your ideal movie snack? So I guess it depends where I'm watching a movie. Mm, okay. But yeah. always popcorn. Mm. I love popcorn. And if I'm in a movie theater and I'm sneaking in my own candy, because I'm not going to pay for that shit there. No. No. My two favorite movie theater candies are Sour Patch Kids and Junior Mints. Mm, the classic. That's a perfect blend. Yeah. <laughs> I never eat those things except at the movies. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. How about you? What's your uh, your movie snack preference? I I am a popcorn fan both out and home and it has to be butter. Like I don't yes. I don't want this. I will make kettle corn for my family cuz they like sweet salty. No. When I'm at, when I'm watching a movie, I want butter, I want salt. That that's what Me I too. want. And I and for I don't real. apologize for that. That's what I need. I also too I used to be a huge Junior Mint fan, but I think I love like a good sour straw, like a really good watermelon or green mm. apple. Do you drink a soda? Drink a Coke with your sour straw? Girl, I don't need diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> like it's already in my background. No, I can't. I can't. I don't like the, um, the like it's too slimy. It does get very slimy. And before I became a considerate person and or <laughs> I used to enjoy a pickle. Like that would be the thing that mm. I would buy. Like because I can always bring in my own sour straws. But I used to think there's something about having like a movie theater pickle when I thought first of all movie theater pickle sounds really strange to your breath is never great the rest of the day and no one likes you so I did have to change my ways and I don't even think do they even serve pickles at movie theaters anymore that may I feel like that's an old thing to say of like back in my day we'd go see a double feature with a hot pickle well I have two thoughts one <laughs> there's all these places where you can just order straight up food at movie theaters no. now like yeah a, like a meal yeah oh i guess you're in england <laughs> you don't know about this no drinking in the movie theater is new for us i'm like i had a glass of wine when i saw fantastic beast and i thought i was living <laughs> yeah for real no there's these places like these flicks brew houses that brew their own beer but you order a whole meal you like press a little button you write <gasps> down what you want they like come and silently bring it to you it's like this whole thing do they feed you grapes and then are there gladiator battles as well if only <laughs> if there's an orgy pit somewhere in there like that's ridiculous that's intense yeah. Yeah, I'm I don't know how I feel about it. I think I don't like it. But I also am too antisocial to go to the movies, so I I think I would try it out cuz that, that does sound like a cool experience, but that also sounds expensive, which goes against it is. my sensibilities. Yeah, it's expensive and I feel like I'm not that into the food. Like I'd rather just be at home where I could eat a whole meal and watch a movie. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And I can be truly comfortable because I think they're going for like being luxurious and comfort. But yeah, I, for real, you still have to like, I don't know, there's there's societal norms. You have to like, I don't want to wear my shoes. Yeah. Oh, my second thought was mm. movie snacks 
are the same snacks that were served at the snack bar in middle school. Yes. At school. <laughs> I I don't think I realized that until now. And you're yeah. like, sour straws, pickles. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> it was popcorn, candy. Mm-hmm. It, it was, that's all they served. Yeah, that's it. That's how we grew up, y'all. And I, I, <laughs> I still have all my teeth. So somehow a girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're talking about movie snacks because the unicorns have gone to the movies again. We have had someone suggest a movie for us. Yes. Thank you, Kendra, via Kendra. Instagram mm-hmm. for wanting to know our thoughts on this docu-series. So I guess it's, it's a three-part mini-series mm-hmm. that we watched for today's episode called They've Gotta Have Us. Mm. Yeah, it was, I first, I thought this was directed by Spike Lee because I thought it was a play on she she gotta have it or she has to have it or by spike lee the original movie and then the series but it's not but they do talk about spike lee they do (laughs) and they talk about about that which i mean i guess i just didn't realize it was a movie it was like before my time because it was in the 80s and i was a child and but i i love the series so i was like oh i should watch that movie uh, mm. which was a lot of my feelings <laughs> throughout this <laughs> we have to have a we'll have to have like a movie watch date because a lot of those are things that like you, you you grow up with and things of that nature but anyway before we get uh, too too ahead of ourselves you know unlike ourselves yeah let's first let just yeah, what's what's this docu-series about? Why mm-hmm. why should we watch it? Why why does our opinion about this matter? Why were we asked <laughs> about it? Well, you know, I think when we it's so great, especially when in a docu-series where we can actually have something in a genre I think we both enjoy. You know, I know you're more of a reader, but I think we we both talk about the impact and the influence of media specifically in movies. And I think anytime you have someone that takes the time to really highlight and show people of color within that industry, that's really important. And I think I think this is kind of up our, our wheelhouse of just getting thoughts on it and, and feedback. Uh, once again, this is an example of taking up space, of really mm. getting information out there to people. And my overall gut was that there's nothing in here that blew my mind. And I, by that, I mean, there's nothing in there. I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. It was not new, but I think what I really loved about it was the package it was put into. Uh, the director, uh, Simon Frederick, he he was actually born in London. He's British. He's British black. Black British. I can still never decide which way it is. Anyway, uh, so just getting his his take on it and his care and the the plethora of actors that they had on here. It was really interesting. I don't know. What, what were your, like gut thoughts and thoughts of reviewing this movie and your expectations. Well, first off, the docu-series is about Black filmmakers Mm -hmm. um, specifically and kind of the cultural obsession with Blackness and how that doesn't necessarily translate into acceptance of Black people. Mm -hmm. That's the basis. And and like you said, we've talked about those core concepts a lot on the podcast. I, too, was not particularly surprised. I find it interesting because the title, They Gotta Have Us, 
I feel like communicates a different feeling that I got from the show itself. Like, I don't Mm. feel like I was the intended audience, which I say a lot about things, Mm. Uh, but I found it interesting nonetheless. And I don't think even though the, the title is They Gotta Have Us, that it was necessarily for Black folk. Because mm. it felt very like basic level of education about yes. about black film in a way to like open people's minds to black film. And I think we we've talked about this a lot, but like I think people of color are very aware of those things <laughs> because mm-hmm. like we have to grasp onto them, I think. But nonetheless, I found it very interesting and I, I liked it. Like I said, I I didn't know she's gotta have it was a movie. But that was like maybe the only early movie I had never heard of. But very early on in the first episode, I was like, oh, I didn't even really know Moonlight was about black people. <laughs> like I've mm-hmm. I've just like not necessarily up to date with movies, white Hollywood or black or otherwise. Mm. So the more recent stuff I I found a little bit more interesting for that reason. Mm. The first parts that we're talking about film history mm-hmm. and like Sidney Poitier and like all these things are weren't super surprising to me. Like mm-hmm. I feel like those are things that I've I've like sat with for a while. But I will say that since I am not a black person, I feel like my opinion doesn't necessarily matter as much Mm. as yours does in regards to this. Even though I see a lot of value and like overlap as a person of color where I could apply a lot of these same ideas and concepts to like my own experience, I can see overlap. But I think fundamentally, like I'm more interested in your takeaways as a black person about this documentary. Mm. You know, it was funny after you know, finished watching it, it was, I actually, I did think about you and I'm like, I don't know if she's going to feel like speaking on it or even just, you know, any other people uh, of, uh, of color that might not particularly be in the black category would feel comfortable talking about it and opening it up. But I would say maybe towards the end, I'd really like to get your opinion as far as what does this mean for other minority groups with Mm. this influx of black people within Hollywood. I'd love maybe something to like marinate on or something like that. Cause I'd love to hear your take on that or your, your, uh, your opinion going forward into that. I, uh, (laughs) it's funny. I watched this and then looked up what the overall, like the reception of this was. Uh, mm-hmm. It was mixed. It was fairly positive. Like I said, they had a big expose on the BBC uh, about it, which, like I said, I, the director is from from London. So I think it probably had a really good uh, spike here of, of viewership. Yeah. And they had that whole section that was about Black British actors playing mm-hmm. Black roles in Hollywood Girl. and like what the implications of that were. I found that very interesting that was actually probably my favorite part so this is broken down into three parts uh, part one like denny said more of the history legends and pioneers then i went to part two middle uh black film is not a genre which that in itself i thought was really like there were a couple of like takeaways and i really liked that i think you and i once again we've kind of danced around that topic without actually having like a full-on short kind of yes that's what i mean by 
black exploitation films, you, you know, pitching holding that's a black film. This is a, you know, Mexican film. That's a Asian right. film. You know, I think that having race not be a genre of film, I thought that was really interesting. This was kind of like the, the post uh, Sydney Poitier, Harry, Harry Belafonte age of that up and coming 70s, 80s, early 90s kind of vibe to where then the third part was uh, Black is the New Hollywood. And that's kind of where it talked about that with this influx of Black British actors kind of coming in and the response to that within the community. You know, within each one, there were like little golden nuggets of things that I thought mm-hmm. were really you know interesting. In the first bit of the Legends and Pioneers, I th- for me, I was really, I guess, encouraged. Oh, this is going to sound really really self-centered i was encouraged of just like how much i knew and i felt very uh also very blessed and fortunate and really privileged to be able to have the access and to the knowledge of that particular part of my my own history and background you know i i love theater i love entertainment i love movies and just kind of seeing that and just honestly seeing harry belafonte still got it like black literally doesn't crack people this this guy is late 90s and just dude he's old yeah (laughs) so old he's super old and he is still classy af like he is still holding it down and just the concepts of like the noble black man and Mm -hmm. limitations on film and you know crossing mixed races with the romance it was just once you said it was a really good introductory like if someone who wasn't confident and had no idea i would find this to be a very good palpable way of introducing them into a little bit of the basic history once again, which is important. History is foundational. But I will say this, um, <laughs> with this, one of the the lines that uh, one of the directors said that within the industry, within people of color, they the main color they really care about is green. And I right. thought, I was just like, and that kind of really overarched, that kind of set the tone, I feel, of the entire thing. So I kind of looked at it through the lens of, all the progress people of color have made within the industry, all within this hue of has it been progress or has it been profit? So I was really challenged to kind of look at it through the lens of every time they're like, oh yeah, you know, this person won this award and first black director here. But I'm like, but at that same time, I'm like, but at the end of the day, which is it? Profit or progress? I don't know. Yeah, along those lines, that line of thinking got me thinking about using, like, this is just, you know, to take this to a wider view outside of necessarily the entertainment industry and outside of just Black people, but opening it up to all people of color. Uh There is a lot that happens in this world that uses people of color in a very visible way. But how much does that matter if things are still being run and controlled by white people? Mm-hmm. Visibility is important. These things are great. Like, it's good to see it out in the world. But, like, at the end of the day, when it's like white guys controlling all the things, like, mm-hmm. does it really, like, is it really progress? Exactly. Is something that I was thinking a lot about. And, you know, I I can put that into several examples mm-hmm. in the world, you know, Ugh. and then it makes me feel very, like, despondent and sad. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Like, so they have, like, part two moving on from the past and those foundational 
thoughts kind of moving into the second part of now that we're getting some people of color to be playing Mm -hmm. the roles outside of maid and helpers to where now we're getting people on the other side of the camera, just realizing it wasn't just enough for us to have the lines in the part. We were never going to, they were talking about white people telling people, black people's stories. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was really impactful. I thought that was something else. Like if I was trying to explain to a person a white person, like, what well, Oscar's so white. I remember trying to have a conversation of being like, well, you know, think about all these people, you know, that people of color, there's so many of them now, which this was a real conversation. Oh, there's so geez. many of them now. They, they had Black Panther, and, and I loved Black Panther. And it was almost like, are you not happy? Are you not satisfied? That kind of thing. Something that someone said, I should have written down the exact quote, but along those same lines, part of what's so problematic about white people telling black people's stories Mm -hmm. is the fact that like the irony in there is the fact that like white people don't really understand black people, Mm -hmm. at least not to the depth that black people understand white people. Exactly. that is a direct result of of slavery and the racist systems in which we live because it was like a survival thing. Mm-hmm. Black people had to understand white people well in order to survive within that world, within this world. And so the inverse isn't true. So typically white people aren't going to have that same depth of understanding and Like I mentioned a a while back, that mind's eye, that third eye point of view, like Mm -hmm. they don't they don't understand the other perspective as strong as people of color and black people specifically have been trained to do as a survival mechanism from the time that they're children. Exactly. Well, there was even just to kind of like kind of come in with that idealism of people within the industry of they can like black culture but not like black people. Mm. And I think yeah. when the hell like they got to have us kind of what you said, like the title and the, and the product kind of matching. I think that was a little bit of the tie. I don't know if it necessarily delivered as much, but I feel like once again, it's one of those little chunks, one of those nuggets and takeaway of trying to explain to someone of saying like, yeah, the industry, because it's making them money, they're enjoying the black culture, mm-hmm. you know, people even, and I feel like this kind of falls underneath once again of, White people are saying, you know, why can't people listen, white people listen to rap music or, you know, have the same hairstyles. I'm like, it's not that they can't. It's an appreciation. It's them liking the culture, but not the people. It's not not giving, not loving them enough to give them the credit, not loving them enough to know the pain that went behind it, the artistry, uh, appreciating what they go through, what they're being paid do you know, and I, and I, that can say a lot for what's going on today in the world when it comes to black people or really any people of color in entertainment. There are, they might like it, but they don't like the people. <laughs> right. That really spoke a lot to me. I think that's something I'm definitely going to help. That will help me illustrate the emphasis and the importance to someone who might not understand. <laughs> mm. It was, uh, was there anything? So they kind of switched into that, like a hip hop kind of genre. A little bit mm. there, there, there was there was something set up in there. I thought that was a little kind of interesting. I felt like within that, like the boys in the hood kind of genre, um, I feel like there was like a split. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting too because I feel like you know 
that genre, like Boys in the Hood and those sorts of movies, also, like, I think the Latino community has, like, feel some ownership over that as well, even mm-hmm. though it's not, like, ours to own. But it's it's one of those things. It's, like, representation of anything aside from white Hollywood has been so scarce and was certainly so scarce in that era that it was like something closer to our experience that you could hold on to. Mm. So I found that I found that all very interesting. And I and I think I I perhaps don't have that same like I didn't grow up in the hood. <laughs> I mean, it's as hood as Albuquerque gets, I suppose. <laughs> but it's you know, it's something that I found relatable, mm. I suppose. And that's also like our generation. Like those are the movies that were coming out like as we were becoming aware of movies. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, that's that was I think it was just having a different kind of complex of character and a realism. Like just yes. from even the clothes that they wore, I'm like, wow, I wear that. I have worn that outfit. This is how we actually talk. This is the the music that we listen to. So even if you didn't come from the streets, if you didn't have the experience, there was still something that you could reach onto and be quite, you know, because I can see myself in that, and that's what was really missing within that, you know. So I do feel like there was that that genre of they said like hood movies and you know gangster movies that kind of came out within mm-hmm. that same time frame that some people were saying well this is very damaging to the community but on the other side they some people felt quite uplifted and represented you know and that's why i think it was a clever way to kind of go through past present and current what's going on in black film i thought that was a really clever way of kind of breaking it up and having that represent and i like you said at the top I do feel this is about directors and I really like the emphasis on it. I don't know if we've seen enough documentaries, movies that really, I felt the energy really emphasized people of color being behind the camera and writing and costume design. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think so now is the time that I'm going to throw out some of my issues. <laughs> with this um, because it's it's somewhat related. Mm-hmm. I love that they they had focus on writing and directing and costume design and those things uh, included in the movie because it wasn't just about actors, which mm-hmm. I think is my problem with film and theater in general. Like it's always all about the actors and as like a more theater generalist, I'm <laughs> I'm interested in in all the aspects. So mm-hmm. it was it was refreshing in a sense to see that. But one of my issues I I had was there was not as much focus on women within this mm. um, as I wanted. And so like they touched on it, like they talked about Dorothy Dandridge, yeah, who fucking beautiful and amazing gorgeous yeah like jaw-droppingly gorgeous and an amazing icon as far as like representation goes when we talked about josephine baker i think or maybe they didn't we had had i can't remember they had lena horn in the very (laughs) beginning they talked about her parts being kind of cut in and out yeah but like they didn't talk about halle berry and how she was the first Black woman to win an Academy Award for Best Actress. Like, they didn't mention that at all, which I found very weird. Especially because they talked a lot about the Oscars. <laughs> but yeah. they didn't mention that. And I, I just, 
I don't know. I but, felt like a lot of the you know dealing with women. Yeah, but you know why that is, though, with Halle Berry. Oh, yes. Good point. Mm. Excellent point, Tamika. Yeah. Why is it? Why is that? <laughs> Halle Berry is a mixed kid. Yeah. But they had mixed men in mm-hmm. this documentary. Yeah. That, who were very, I think some of them were very aware of their mixedom. Well, one of them said was like black men in movies, and I'm not talking about me. I'm talking yeah. about darker skinned men, mm-hmm. which I appreciate that. Like you do have to recognize where you are, and I do. And I think I don't know if I mentioned it on mic or off mic. They did spend some time with Spike Lee and a lot of people who were eh, inspired by him. And I think there's within the movie industry, I we've talked about this in colorism. I've always felt a tension with being mixed when we talk about black Hollywood, because I never know if I count or not. Mm-hmm. I never know if, it, because I said they've had, um, so Harry Belafonte, who is a, a fairly, he's a very fair skinned black man. And then his homie is Sidney Poitier, who is beautifully right. midnight. You know, he, yeah. it, it's beautiful. And they talk about their struggles, even being slightly different and kind of growing up. And then once again, with women as well, having a much, you know, easier in quotation mark time becoming the romantic lead depending on their shade of skin you know people writing whole concepts about the skin divide and like i said is a real thing and as someone who is mixed even if they're on the darker spectrum of mixedom you do have to acknowledge your privilege but when i watch things like this i never know if i'm included when they talk about black excellence Mm -hmm. i never know i never never know you know what I mean? Fucking I, I, mixed kid problems. I know. I know. I always feel like there is a passive aggressiveness. I always feel that there is a, like a, a an asterisk by those who are mixed and they mm-hmm. achieve things in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. That's a, that's an excellent point. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's, like I said, that could also just be myself projecting uh-huh. my my own thing but like i said my i have always had very um i always feel very hostile because i do always feel that little tinge of like that otherism a little bit just a little mm-hmm. bit like one of the things that they talked about in the last episode that i found very important and something that we talk about a lot is this idea that Black people, and this goes with the title of the second episode, strangely enough, but black movies are seen as a genre, right? Like black mm-hmm. black movies are for black people because the dominant culture is white. White people can make movies about nothing. The example they talk about is like, I can make a movie about a lost dog if I'm a white man. <laughs> like, And it's just mm. a movie, right? It's not a white movie. It's just a movie. Whereas black people cannot do that. Any movie that a black person makes is is seen as a black movie. And so the hope is in the future or that we're moving towards at least a place where black folk can make movies about nothing that aren't necessarily mm-hmm. rooted in blackness. Yes. Like, and I think that's the dream. That's like the dream of liberation mm-hmm. for all of us. But I think as like mixed people, that's something we hold on to particularly yes. hard because we have such a hard time fitting into like a category. So if it's like a movie about Latinos, 
Like, I don't know where my place is Mm -hmm. in that as somebody who is mixed race, which is kind of mimicking what you were saying, right? Like, I don't know where my place is. But if we somehow transcend, like, having to make movies about Latino-ness, like, I feel like I can see see my spot in Mm -hmm. it just as, like, a fully developed person who has mixed heritage. Exactly. No, uh, and that's why I like Brooklyn Nine Nine. Like, not to make this about Brooklyn Nine Nine, no. but I feel like the characters in that show are allowed to be who they are, exactly, and like it's not robbed from them. But it's also like not defining the show. Mm-hmm. But they don't have to sense. water down who they are either to be accepted. Like, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. No, no, actually, I mean. It was gonna be my happy place, but now you've ruined it. So, yeah. <laughs> oh <kidding>. no! <laughs> just kidding. But okay, can we? I just want to get your thoughts because mm. I've I. This is a very interesting topic to me, and once again, it didn't. I knew about this, but not really having the time and place to talk about it. In the last one, they've really touched on an idea that I'm a little bit closer to: black and British. The British Mm. are coming, the British are coming, the British are coming to America. Two movies, like, right. Thoughts. Well, I found it, like I said, I found it really interesting. And once again, I can see the parallels of that to the mixed person experience, right? Mm -hmm. Even though it's not the same thing at all. But I think the end result is the same. Like, how much of the character's experience do you need to have and how much of the character's background do you need to have in order to play a character on screen? And it's a valid question to have, but just to put shit on its head, those are not the questions we ask of white actors. Mm -hmm. So why are we holding people of color to that same standard? I don't exactly. know. Thoughts? Well, kind of the same thing. So, I mean, the new Spider-Man's British. I don't know. I Maybe I should have looked this up before I put my whole foot in my mouth. Were people mad about that? Kind of what you're saying as far as like that that standard of it. So they were specifically talking about um, Samuel L. Jackson remarking on the uh, Selma, the movie about Martin Luther King. That, mm. Sorry to interrupt, but that was the only mention of Samuel L. Jackson. In these three. And and he he has been like the top grossing actor since like 2011. Like, Mm. why wasn't he like, okay, sorry, continue. Oh, no, no, no. Because I'm wondering why he wasn't in it. But Jesse Smollett, Smollett, had a little, had a little girl. I nearly fell off the chair when I saw that he had a little expose in there. I'm like, who let him in here? <laughs> I was like, what, they let you out? Like it, it was, yeah. you know. And all joking, I was very, I was shook. Also, there was not much mention of Tyler Perry, which I find a travesty. Well, you know, he's once again, like, what, what your opinion of him? Whether, however you feel, he's been in the business giving people of color jobs, people that yes. had not had work for a long time, a long, long time. And I feel a certain affinity towards him. Because he like transcends like film and theater. Like he is such a prolific playwright and like filmmaker. So like I appreciate that. And so maybe mm-hmm. that's why I feel like personally hurt that Tyler Perry wasn't included. 
I think my thing for him is, like I said, and I've always had mixed feelings about Tyler Perry. Oh, yeah, work. certainly. Certainly. Oh, definitely. But to me, I'm like, he's out there trying to be behind the camera getting actors work. And that's why I've always really respect him. Like I said, there are actors that couldn't get work and they were getting work through Tyler Perry. And now he has his, his a soundstage. He's got a studio. He he's got it. Like let's not let's mm-hmm. not downplay his achievements. I will never, ever, ever do that. He it's it's crazy. Like he has a studio. It's his studio. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Tangent over. Back to Samuel L. Jackson's comments. Yes, exactly. So he was talking about the gentleman I sh- now is completely escaping me. I should look that up. I'm terrible with actors' names. I am the worst. I should ever play charades or 20 questions celebrity edition. I would fail. And the movie Selma, the gentleman who played the lead role of Martin Luther King, he is British Mm. and he made mentions to other movies with British black men coming in there and saying why aren't there's American black men who could work in these roles, yada, yada, yada. And he's not the first and only black person to have that kind of beef. With that being said, I... His take on it was there's something about being an American black man and being and being really under like really understanding that role, kind of what you were talking about before. With that, why a person of color to another person of color, even though they're from the UK, do you not think there's racism there? And kind of downplaying their experience as a black mm-hmm. person because they're not your kind of black person. Yes. That is one thing that I really did appreciate about this docuseries. It did highlight that difference Mm -hmm. and talked about how racism is almost more like insidious in the UK Mm -hmm. because it's very different. Yes. And I really liked that it highlighted that difference between the Black British experience and the Black American experience without saying one was worse than the other. Right. It just like exposed the difference. And I think this is the game that they want us to play Mm y'all like they want us to like rate who has it the worst and why it is and turn us against each other when that is not the game we should be playing exactly what we were just talking about in our episode about uh, generational racial trauma what is part of the healing but coming together And I'm just not meaning like your own family, your own personal little tribe, not even your neighborhood. I mean, as a collective of people of color, because we do that within ourselves of the race, but also uh, black Americans against uh, First Nation people and Mm -hmm. those on the Pueblo and those are Chicano, those who are Latin, those are Dominican, those are Cubano, you know, and then does that make sense within the races? Like, this is what generational healing looks like. And so when I hear comments like that, it's like, I I understand where your pain is coming from. But that is a very one sided view of the future of black people in film. Right. I'm actually, yes. I'm, I'm very encouraged. And, and if anything, it's just like, once again, and it kind of showed that where we really haven't gone that far. If we had more roles, we wouldn't be worrying about people from England coming over to right. take the roles. Does that make sense? I also worry because it's like twofold, two reasons. One, just the general xenophobia of America. Mm-hmm. Like, bothers it's, me it's real strong lately guys it's yeah. it's real strong it's real strong and two to me hearing samuel l jackson say those words feels 
gatekeepy and highlights the elitism of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that bothers me also. And this was after I was just like, we should have heard more about Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> but like... <laughs> No, because he's still a legend and he has been and, and how like we never like I said, I think he's speaking from a place of like I have worked in this business for so long to stop being the pimp crackhead. So that way the next yeah. generation of black men can and all of a sudden all the young American black men I worked so hard for took shitty roles for to get where I'm the most famous person to ever say motherfucker ever. But now all of a sudden the British are invading. And coming yeah. in to take the roles. But the thing is, it's from a rooted of a place still of a fear of there not being enough to go around. So it's like, yes. for me, I'm like, if you felt that way, why aren't Samuel write something, produce something and hire local people of color then? If you if you feel that way, because you have the talent, you have the skill set, you have the resources and you have the clout. Make more roles so we don't have to be so, you said, gatekeepy, so protective of what little we have. You know, we talked about this with women. We're so competitive because we know in a workplace of 20, there might only be two spots for women sometimes. And one of those might be a woman of color. So we're going to be very competitive within ourselves, you know? Right. You know, it's the system. It's the game that the system wants us to play. And we need to just stand up and say you it. Like, nah, fuck that. That is not the game I'm playing. (laughs) I want to see more movies with Black people that are not about Blackness, but don't dismiss Blackness. Like, Mm -hmm. that is what I want to see. And that's also what I want to see for, like, all minority groups, right? Like, I just want everyone to be able to fucking make their beautiful art and for me to be able to see it. That's what I want. And I want to see people who look like me on the screen so I can feel like I'm an actual person who deserves to exist within this system and within this world. Mm. So with that, there I don't think this is something I'd probably love to talk about in future of the tension in America between Latinx community and the African-American community. But Mm. do you feel within that... Do you feel this is a, oh, actually, this is a perfect example. With the increase and influx of influence Black people are having in Hollywood, do you feel like it's going to become more gatekeepy, as we have said? Or do you think this is going to be an open door for other minority groups? Mm. It's a good question. And I can really see it going either way, right? Mm. But I feel like, I don't know, and and maybe this is overly optimistic, but for me, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I am always there for any sort of representation. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. for me, I feel like the more people of color, any racial or ethnic background, to flood the market, the more it's going to open the doors for the rest of us. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like ultimately it's good for all of us. Yes. And maybe that's too optimistic. I don't know. No, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that's really good. I, sorry, that was very editorial. I. <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> that's very good. Yeah, it's like the same reason, like, why actually the most recent movies on the list are like the movies that I've actually seen in theaters where I've not seen 
most of like the Academy Award winning white Hollywood (laughs) movies and theaters. It's for that same reason. Like I am interested in seeing a bigger variety of experiences being portrayed in film. So like Get Out, I loved talked about that sorry to bother you I love that too talked about that like all these films and then like it's not just black films right like I talked about how I went and saw crazy rich Asians and like I am just there for all the representation like Mm. and maybe that's just me personally but I think there's a lot of people who are in a similar boat like across this country. I, you know, I think so too. I'm really hoping that this is an open door because I do think we, in in the black community of having that, yes, you know, they're, they said the very top black people didn't want to wait to be invited to the table. Mm. But I think the table of, well, for many people can use the table as a representation for whatever they want, whether it be the working place within show business, within the beauty industry, within wall street, Whatever your table is, people of color should not wait for that invitation. But I think the more we take up space at the table, the more we can save seat for others. And I'm really hoping that with this influx of people of color, we're saving seats for our, you know, Latinx community, for our LGBTQ plus community, with our, with for more women at the table, for right. for you know, more Asian people at the table. I'm just really hoping that while we're taking up more space, we're also saving seats as well. Yes, turning a big fuck you towards this idea that there's only a limited number of seats for us to take up. It's like we are seated at the table and we are pulling up chairs and creating those spaces Mm -hmm, for other people. Mm -hmm. We got to whittle more table. We'll whittle more table. (laughs) Man. So, yeah, watch it. I think it's worth a watch. I, yeah, think I think it's, it's worth a watch for many people. Mm-hmm. It's not, like I said, I thought it was going to be a bit heavier than what it was. I don't think it's, it's nothing that's going to leave you in horrific tears. At least I don't think so. No. <laughs> yeah. I don't think there's much or perhaps anything that's very radical about it. Mm-hmm. I think pretty much anybody could watch it. Uh, Mm -hmm. without feeling their feathers too ruffled, which is kind of the beauty of it, I think, because I think it can be like a seed that is Mm -hmm. planted for people who are maybe a little bit more resistant to these ideas. Yes. But those of us who spend a lot of time and energy talking about these things, perhaps perhaps it's not such challenging material for us. But that's okay, because we don't constantly need things that are hard. Girl. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I think it's a good watch. I recommend it. Yes. And so thank you, Kendra, for the suggestions. And we would always love more suggestions. Some of my favorite things we have watched have been suggestions. So I always appreciate them. Keep them coming. Yes. Please, please, please tell us the things that we should be watching. Like I have said, I readily admit that I do not keep up to date really with film and television help so tell me tell me what are the things i should be watching because (laughs) i will watch them well should should we be i mean we're already in a decent mood should we continue this happy mood Tell 
Tell me, what's your happy place? I am really happy about potato bread. (laughs) Are you making your own potato bread or is this purchased potato bread? I have made and am making my own potato bread. (laughs) Oh, my God. Tell me. Tell me everything. Girl. So first, okay, because right now I live in England, right? (laughs) In Mm. case you forgot. During this crazy time of people panic buying, potatoes in this country are life. So you can imagine the potato game has been a bit scarce. Long story short, we have some amazing badass friends who got way too many taters. And they donated us some fresh, straight from the ground, dirt all up in them crevices, potatoes. Massive. Excellent. Yes. Love potatoes. Loves potatoes. But also, what's also been in really short supply over here is freaking flour. Really? Can't, yeah. You girl, it is like a trading. It's a barter system over here. There are Facebook oh, groups. No. Oh, no. Oh, we, no. Girl, it's a barter system over here. They're like, girl, I will trade you two toilet paper rolls for, you know, half your flour. I just need it because the thing is bread is also in really short supply here. But England are avid bakers. People and the thing is when people realize we were going to be stuck inside, they're like, oh, I need my Victoria sponge, though. Everyone, like, seriously, everyone here is an amateur baker. I don't care if that's a stereotype. Everyone here has got, like, a Nan's recipe for an opera cake that is to die for, apparently. They all bake. They're very capable bakers. I'm from a place in New Mexico worth 5,000 feet above elevation. My shit doesn't rise. <laughs> like, yeah. Everyone bakes here. So between bread being very hard to get and flour being hard to get, I found this potato bread, an Irish one. Now, well, it's not very traditional because I didn't fry it because, you know, I want to live. But it's um, (laughs) fried bread. Yeah. Sounds so amazing. So good. I want proper fried bread so badly. Anyway, so this recipe still does take flour, but not as much. It's not nearly Mm. as much as like half because, I mean, you need like six to eight cups sometimes to make a good loaf of bread. So this I can get away with like three and a half if I increase the potato starch. But girl, it is pillowy. It is soft. It is decadent. It's so good. And it makes me so happy that A, I've made a bread that was not dense and or raw Mm. in the middle when I got done with it. And I made them rolls so we could have them for like breakfast or a snack with some jam. Ugh. I'm living that quarantine life. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I like potato bread a lot, but I've never had a homemade potato bread. It's so nice. It's surprisingly easy. and only needed to proof once, which I really appreciate because time is Mm. money. Time is bread. It's all this time I'm putting in, I could be eating it. And so I found it to be the only thing that takes a long time is, you know, you got to boil the potatoes and then wait for them to cool. But if you start early in the morning and just put them on and just kind of do it without, you know, in your day, like I said, I have like I'm homeschooling, I'll do a lesson, peel a potato, do a couple of lessons, you know, let them cool, mash them, do this. You know what I'm saying? If you kind of keep back to it by by dinner time, you've got some soft, pillowy potato bread and you feel really accomplished. Oh, and there's no eggs in it either. There's no eggs. There's no eggs. Yeah. Interesting. it's It's a miracle of the bread world. And I'm really it makes me super, super happy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a big baker anyway. I don't know why I'm acting like, oh, there's no eggs. Like I fucking know anything. 
I believed you though. I really believed you. <laughs> I was like, I know, I know, girl. <laughs> I mean, like, we have made bread in the house, but it is almost always Ian making the bread, not me. So like I, I've I've given it a go maybe once or twice, but it's I am not knowledgeable about such things. Mm, it's all about that need, girl. Gotta get that need down. Gotta need that bread. <laughs> what what's making you happy outside of this conversation? Mm, um, you know, I had I have like it's a toss up between two things that neither of them are like that revolutionary. Mm. <laughs> like it's nothing like feels super basic. So first, uh, I'll pull a Demika and I'll just share them both since they're both pretty yeah, d- vague things. Um, <laughs> no, not that you do vague things, but just that I'm sharing more than one. No, no, bo- <laughs> um, no both is hilarious. <laughs> uh, the first thing is just the color purple Mm. (laughs) purple's my favorite color we all know this but you know purple just makes me happy like i like when things are purple it's a soothing color Mm. i know like you know it's so funny we talk about like you know we personalities and things like that nature i feel like people who really not just like oh i like purple but really appreciate purple it's very attached to a very certain personality type Mm. i don't know if that's true But I do feel like people who like purple are more vocal about liking purple than people who like any other color. (laughs) What is that? People who like red, they're like, I'm the red lady. I really like red. But women who like, especially women, women who like purple, you know they like purple. Yeah. They are unabashed. They are loyal and vocal. Yeah. And I don't mean to get all hipster about it, but like purple's been my favorite color my whole life. So <laughs> this is this is true. I will vouch for that. Anyone <laughs> wants to come, if they come for you, I'm like, nah, nah, facts. I got receipts. <laughs> so purple. So if I need like a little boost, I just look at a purple thing. It's great. Mm. My second thing I'd like to share is just listening to music loud. <laughs> like mm. that is my current happy place. Like by the time this comes out, hopefully quarantine, stay-at-home orders will be gone. But who knows in this world? But during these stay-at-home times, I've been listening to music very loud when I'm home alone. And it is great. Mm. I think that's really, there's a lot of freedom in that, isn't there? Yeah. Music is nice. People like music. I like music. May as well listen mm. to it loud, dance around a bit, and then get about your business. Exactly. Get your little endorphin kick, live your fantasy, and just, yeah, it's a little boost. Yeah. Those are my things. Yeah. I like those things. Especially, it's there's like freedom and volume, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always, I guess I always listen to music loud, like in the car, but mm. I can't really listen to it loud in my office at work. So that's like work at home advantage. I can listen to music as loud as I want, especially because my husband, the farmer, is not home. So, oh, and we thank him. All those essential workers. Mm, and he is essential because, girl, I, this is probably not even appropriate to talk on the podcast. But we were supposed to have a fruit and vegetable delivery, and the person did not show up. And so, <gasps> yeah, like I was, re- I'm relying. On- I can't leave the house. Like I'm an at risk person. 
And so I can't go get fruits and vegetables. So this guy's like, yeah, I'm doing a fruit vegetable delivery. He did not show up. I am fruit and vegetable-less. Well, I hope by the time this episode comes out, he will have shown up with your fruits and vegetables. I'm going to do an update. I'm going to do an update when this comes out and been like, nah, nah, he never showed up. Canceled. Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Canceled. (laughs) Canceled. Super canceled. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we should wrap this up. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't have places to be, but we have things to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ex- we're very busy. <laughs> very busy, important people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. If you have a movie or a TV show or a book or anything you would like us to review, please let us know. You can reach out to us via email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at biracialunicorns, and we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. Please, 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 will you follow our awesome supporters like Dolly Pop Art, who's done our amazing graphics. Also, So Smith Photography, who's done some beautiful photos for us. There's also the talented Joseph Scott, who's done our intro and outro music. And please do not forget to let your friends know about us. And write a little review. We want to know your thoughts. Really. Honestly. Yes. Share, review, subscribe, all those things, please. Yes, we've asked nicely. So next time there might be a horse head in your bed. Who knows? (laughs) Canceled. (laughs) With a note, canceled. You're canceled. (laughs) You're canceled. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we shouldn't threaten people directly after asking them to do something for us. I didn't. It wasn't a direct threat. I said might be. There might be. Who knows? Maybe. It's not even necessarily related to us. Who knows? Look at semantics. (laughs) (laughs) All right, friends. We'll be Mm. back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with a full episode. Mm -hmm. All right. Peace. Out. Out.